So this morning, we're going to talk about evangelism, what that looks like in, in the local church, what it looks like in our lives. And so we're going to jump around different passages this morning. It's going to be different than we normally do. But let me begin by asking some questions. What comes to your mind when I say evangelism? What, what do you think of when you, when you hear evangelism? You know, is it, is it that, uh, that, that TV personality with the slick back hair and, uh, you know, playing just, a, just come as you are 17 times in TV before people repent? You know, or is it maybe Billy Graham who, who for his life, preached the gospel you know, in mega size arena, that's evangelism, calling people to consider Christ, to repent. Or maybe it's someone in the city, you know, standing on a, on a box and, and crying out and, and, and asking people, pleading people to consider Christ. Or maybe, maybe evangelism for you is, is, has to be door to door. You have to go to your neighbors in the neighborhoods and you go door to door knocking on them, asking them if, if they know Christ. You know, what comes to your mind when you think of evangelism? You know, I think one thing for sure, for most of us, when we think of evangelism, we have some sort of trepidation towards it, some sort of fear. You know, there, there are a few, though, in our church, even our church locally, um, that are gifted as evangelists. And you know it when you talk to them, because they just wake up with this fervency to go out and to preach. And they do it unashamed. But the majority of Christians, I would say, in our church and in most churches, struggle in some way when it comes to evangelism. You know, there are some excuses that I've heard and I've read throughout the years. I'm going to cover a few of these here. The first one that I hear is, I don't have time. I've heard this before. It's usually placed in a conversation about your schedule, about how having this, this conversation with someone could cause a delay in the schedule that you have for the day. And if you've been around long enough, I'll, I talk about it. I like to have a schedule. I like to follow a schedule. I, I struggle with this interruption to my schedule. And so this is one that I've used in the past of, well, I don't know if I should because I got to get to this place on time. You know, another excuse that you hear is, I don't want to get people upset with me or I don't want to cause problems. This is sometimes the reason why many people don't share the gospel with those that they work with. In fact, I'm sure there might be some here that in your workplace, there are rules or, or uh, set up of, you shouldn't talk about religious things. You know, your, your workplace says, you know, you can't discuss religious topics. There's also, though, the fear, I think, that's natural, that we might lose friends at, at work. We're, we might upset a coworker that we work really closely with, and now life will be much more difficult if they're angry at us for preaching at them. So we don't want to rock the boat too much. You know, another excuse is, is this one, evangelism is not my gift. You know, there are many, and I've said before, there, that are spiritually gifted as evangelists. So, so, they, so if you're not, you say, well, then that's not my gift. I, I have other gifts, so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be involved in it. Well, there's others that are gifted as teachers and preachers and others in different ways. I've also heard that uh, people have said, shouldn't we leave this up to those that are called to do it, those that are better prepared and equipped to do evangelism? Well, excuse number four is, is this one, it's I don't know any non-Christians. I, I don't know any non-Christians. You know, I could use this excuse, okay? Guys, I'm a pastor. I work in an office full of Christians. I share the gospel weekly with Johnny and he keeps telling me he's saved. <laughs> I believe he is, just so the record. But I could use that, you know? I, I work with Ryan and Johnny and his secretaries, they're all saved. So what, is I, what am I to do? You know? Number five, if 
Fifth one, I don't know what to say to them. I, I, I stare away from evangelism because I don't know what to say to people. You know, this has got to be the greatest fear that most Christians have. And I think all of us, if we're not gifted in this way, have at some point experienced this. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. How do you begin a conversation? Where do you go or what do you say? And we're, we're afraid that we need to have a, a number of verses memorized or phrases that we need to use or this or that. And, and so because of all those fears, we allow that then to dictate whether we share or not. So we're going to talk about some of these in the midst of all the topics I'm going to cover this morning. We're going to cover some of these excuses of what, why we have and our, and our opposition somewhat to evangelism this morning. Now, as I said before, if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. This is out of the ordinary for us. We're, we're usually preaching through the book of John, but I think this is vitally important for us as a church to understand this and, and to work and to grow in this area of evangelism. So my outline this morning is taken from Mark Dever's book. It's called The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. And so I wanted to mention that. I brought them up, the books up here that I've really enjoyed in this topic. And this is one, this is by Mark Dever that I just mentioned here. And it's an excellent book. It's an easy read. I think it's 115 pages or so. So you can read it in a weekend actually. And it's not overly in depth, but it's enough to cover the topics. And we're going to cover some of his outline here this morning, but it's called The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. The second book, and this one I, I read in seminary, required reading, was called Tell the Truth by Will Metzger. And this one's a little more in depth, but this is the best book I've ever read on evangelism and covers all the topics. The third one is Marks of a Messenger, and that's by, by Max Stiles. Mac is an interesting guy. He's an excellent author, a very good speaker, but he lives and ministers in the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and has a vital and growing ministry there and has, has really good um, insights here about what it looks like to be a, a, an evangelist in our normal life. And then the last one here is one that we probably all heard at some point, is Evangelism, the Sovereignty of God, J.I. Packer. This is an older one. This is my version. It's from 1961, and I've read it a number of times. And all very good books. If you're interested in any of those, come see me. I can direct you to it. If you want, even as a church office, we can order them, and you can pay and, and pick them up at the office. But all great resources to grow in this area of understanding about evangelism. So that's enough of my introduction and my book pitch. We're going to get started, so join me in a prayer. Father, we thank you for, again, the opportunity we have to come together as the body of Christ here in Edgewood, and we pray that you would teach us this morning. And as we look at the topic of evangelism and what that looks like for us as believers, Father, we pray that you would give grace and understanding to us. I pray that you would teach us this morning. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would use the, the verses that we'll cover and the topics that we'll discuss. And I pray, Father, that we won't come out of this place feeling guilty, but, but feeling encouraged that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be involved and, and be uh, passionate about sharing the hope that we have with those that we come in contact with. Father, uh, give us grace and understanding, for we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. As I said before, the outline that I'm, I'm covering this morning is taken from Mark Dever's book and, and really kind of covers some questions about evangelism. And the first question I want to tackle is, what is evangelism? What is evangelism? We're going to walk through that. And next one is, who should do evangelism? Who should do evangelism? Third is, how should you, we evangelize? And fourth is, why should we evangelize? So the first one, what is evangelism? Now, there's been a, a very popular phrase that has been repeated by a number of well-meaning Christians for a number of years. 
Maybe you've found yourself saying this phrase for good reason in order to, to stimulate evangelism in our world and our lifestyle. It's a phrase that is commonly attributed to Francis of Assisi, of which he's uh, supposedly said, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Have you guys heard that phrase before? There's probably all these, uh, what are they called, memes? I forget, how do you pronounce that? All right, thank you, that. On Facebook, you know, they have it on there. It's very popular. I'm sure you see it on Facebook. But if you, if you think about this phrase, there's a characteristic of it that sounds appealing and even helpful to us as, as the church and our responsibility to share the good news. I mean, as Christians, it's important that we actually live out what we say, right? We don't want to just say it and then just do something else. We want to live out. And we want to live in a way that points people to Jesus Christ. However, I, I find there's two basic problems with that quote. First, Francis never said it, so that's a problem. And second, the quote is not biblical. And I'm going to explain that a little bit. You know, there, there, first, there's been a number of Christian scholars that I did my research that, who pointed out there's no record of Francis actually ever saying this phrase. And in fact, they believe, after studying Francis, that he would have serious problems with this phrase because he loved to preach the gospel. In fact, it's known that he would preach up to five times in a day going different places, preaching the gospel. And so if the, to put this phrase that it's not necessarily using words, but just living it out, he would have an issue with that. But still, there, there are some in our churches today that believe this phrase and continue to propagate it. I, I think for good reason, for good motivation. And maybe it's the fact that, you know, talk is cheap, so let our actions speak louder than words, right? I even had a friend growing up that, that struggled, and in fact, he was deathly afraid to talk to others about the gospel. And so when he was ever challenged in a service or in a meeting about doing it, he would just pull up this phrase and say, here's my out. I don't have to say anything. I just, I just got to act that way, and I'm good to go. One author, Mark Galley, informs us that this phrase complements our culture well. He says, preach the gospel, use words as if necessary, goes hand in hand with a postmodern assumption that words are finally empty of meaning. It subtly denigrates the high value that the prophets, Jesus, and Paul put on preaching. Of course, we want our actions to match our words as much as possible, but the gospel is a message, news about an event and a person upon which the history of the planet turns. You know, the, the problem that we face in our culture today in our church currently is that we, 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 we want to function from the only the vantage point that the gospel is something that we just live out. And when we do that, we weaken the message and its impact on the world. And, and frankly, as we, we look into it, we disobey God. If we stop short of speaking the gospel with words, we limit its reach in the world. And the Apostle Paul summarized the gospel as the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ through whom sin was atoned for. And sinners now are reconciled to God and the hope of the resurrection awaits all who believe. The gospel is, is not a lifestyle, it's history. The gospel is the declaration of something that actually happened. The gospel is something that Christ did. It is his saving work on the cross for us. It's not something that we can do. It's something that we must announce. Something that we proclaim. So evangelism is, is not forcing people to make a decision for Jesus. It's, it's not forcing them. We can't do any of that. It's, it's not, evangelism is not proving that God exists, although that's very necessary. 
Evangelism, evangelism is not making a good case out for Christianity. That's not evangelism. Evangelism is not even inviting someone to church. That's not evangelism. It's not just arousing interest to Christianity. That's not evangelism. It's not wearing a, a, a button on our shirt that says Jesus saves. That's not evangelism. Evangelism is preaching the gospel. And I, and I want to make sure that's clear in our minds. You know, all those things are right and good. All of those things, even the video you saw, you know, Caleb was, was talking to him and reading the Bible and, and trying to get him to a point where he would come in here. And it was through the preaching of God's word through the book of Hosea that Billy knew and understand his need for a savior. And so as I studied and looked through it, I think it's, it's helpful to have a clear definition. And so I, I thought about writing one, but I'm going to not reinvent the wheel. So, so I went to the Louisiana conference from 1974, and this is what they, what they have stated on their, on their website. It's to evangelize is to spread the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead according to the scriptures, and that as the reigning Lord, he now offers the forgiveness of sins and the liberating gifts of the Spirit to all who repent and believe. Evangelism is the proclamation of the good news. It's speaking and writing words. You know, it's very postmodern for us to say words are just symbols. It's not true. Words have meaning. Words have power. That's how God created the world, with words. So that's evangelism, speaking words, preaching words about who Jesus is and why he came. So my second question this morning is, who should do evangelism? You know, we live in a world of professionals, right? We, when your car needs work done, in fact, I need to get new brakes on my truck. I'm not going to go to Google and find a guy that did brakes once and say, hey, can you do mine? I'm going to the professional. I want them to be done right, right? If you have a medical issue, you go to the medical professional, right? You don't want to go to the guy that had a weekend class about the heart and decides, yeah, I'll cut you up. You go to the professional. We, we tend to do that in our culture, but we sometimes tend to fall into that trap when it comes to church, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to ministry. We, we want the professionals, Right? They, they've, been, they've been trained, and so let's let the professionals do it. We, we hire pastors to do the work of the ministry, right? We, we hire them to do all of it, right? Yeah, you're all afraid of the answer, aren't you? <laughs> let's look at Ephesians 4. I'll read it here. If you're not, I'm going to cover a number of verses, but feel free to turn to them. Ephesians 4, <clears throat> 11 and 12 talk about this. Talk about the job of the pastor. So Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, and, and he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to do all the work in the church so that people can come in and sit and relax and enjoy worship. Right? Is that what it means? Is that what he's saying? Oh, he says, you know, we're here as pastors, as those gifted in those areas, to equip the saints. That's you. You guys, have you been called a saint lately? You're saints. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, my job, folks, as a pastor, and for Pastor John and for Pastor Ryan, our job, and we're here to work. Let me tell you, I don't want to say that in a way we don't, 
Uh, we, we do have fun occasionally. Uh, the youth pastors more than me probably because they're more fun loving than me. But we love to work. We're called to work. That's our, that's our life calling to be pastors and to work in ministry. And we love it. But our, our work is not only to minister. Our work is not only to do this, these sort of things, but our work is to help you, to train you, to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And so when they come to the question, who should do evangelism? The answer is all of us. We're all called to the work of evangelism. It's our job as the church family to do evangelism. And we should be known as a church here at Edgewood Bible Church that we, we are involved and we're passionate about evangelism. It doesn't mean that we all do it the same. I'm not looking for cookie cutter. You do it the exact this way. I'm not going to go that route. But we're all involved in, in evangelism. It should be happening in some form in our lives. You know, the Bible is littered with this, with this the encouragement. Paul writing to the Romans in chapter one, he says, he says, I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. And so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul was obligated. He, he experienced this. He knew the obligation they had to not only hold on to the gospel and to believe it for himself, but to give it. He, he didn't want to hoard the gospel to himself, but to give it out freely. You know, Paul, what was his job? He wasn't just paid full time, although he did receive funds from churches. He was a tent maker. So we get that term in missions. He actually made tents. That was his job. So guess what? Paul is a special calling. I know that as an apostle, but he's the same as you. How many of you work a job outside of the church? Right, uh, like 10 of you. Are you awake? You know, I, I'm speaking to, you know, John, Ryan, and I, and then the Buzaks, I believe, are the only ones that are paid full-time in ministry. If I'm, there could be a couple of the Hubers I saw, and they were here earlier. We're, we're the oddballs, okay? We're the ones that have the, the, the sheer joy and benefit of being paid full-time in ministry. But all of you, you're called like Paul. You're tent makers. You know, your job to go into the world. And you have a, a special mission field that I don't have access to, nor will I ever. So like Paul, we should feel that obligation. I'm getting ahead of myself though, so we pull back. We also have a commission that's given to us in Matthew 28, where, where Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He says, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And those early believers, the, the apostles, they took Jesus' commission very seriously. And they evangelized consistently. Think about this, folks. We are here because they were faithful in doing that. The message was given to 12. And we sit here as Edgewood Bible Church as the result of those disciples many years ago going out and faithfully preaching the word. Jesus didn't live in America, just so you know. There's a whole other continent. And the message reached here. And so we're a result of that. We're living proof of that. Our church is evidence of that. That these, these 12, if they had not gone and preached the gospel, then we wouldn't be sitting here in this church today. So who should do evangelism? It's us. It's the church. 
My next question, and a third one, is how should we do evangelism? And in this question, I have five things I want to cover here. Five things. The first one is we need to tell people honestly. When we, when we talk about the gospel, we need to do it in an honest way. We don't, we don't hold back truth from people. And what is the truth? The truth is we are sinners in need of a savior. The truth is a verse from last week in John 3.36 that I ended on, that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That can be a very difficult verse to share, to preach to people, but it's the truth. And people need to hear the truth. This is not a politically correct verse. People don't like this. People don't want to hear this message because it causes issues for them. You know, one issue that I, I hear occasionally and read about is the fact that people don't want to share anything negative when they talk about the gospel. You know, here's another instance from a TV preacher long ago, and this is a quote from him. He says, I don't, I don't think that anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelistic enterprise than the unchristian, uncouth strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. Well, he missed the boat. He didn't read his Bible. He softens the message, and in so doing, confusing a lot of people. We need to share the gospel honestly. Sin and guilt are at the very core of the gospel. And we need to remember to, that making people aware of their lost and sinful state is what makes the glorious gospel good news. Mark Dever, written in, in his book here, he talks about this and he says, when, when, we tell the peop, when we tell the gospel to people, we need to do it with honesty. To hold back important and unpalatable parts of the truth is to begin to manipulate and to try to sell a false bill of goods to the person with whom we are sharing so however we evangelize, we aren't to hide problems, to ignore our own shortcomings or to, de to deny difficulties. And we are to not put forward only positives that we can imagine our non-Christian friends presently value and, and present God as simply the means by which they can meet or achieve their own ends. We must be honest. And we need to be honest about the truth. You know, I mentioned in my introduction that one of the reasons why we don't evangelize is the fear that we would offend someone. And I've, I've heard and I read a number of times throughout the years that those are trying to, to, to contextualize, as they say, the gospel so that it won't offend necessarily when they share it. But in doing that, they, they water down the gospel. You know, if you look at Acts 2 with Peter preaching to his own people, he wanted to be relevant. He, he didn't speak with an unknown tongue, but his relevance gave more words on that day and much more bite. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He holds nothing back. Was it a relevant language? Yes. Was he speaking in a pleasing way to those that were listening? No. Was it clear? Yes. He wasn't just charging them with murder. He was charging them with taking their 1,500 years of history and missing the entire point of Jesus' ministry and then nailing him to the tree. You know, I'm not saying the indication of your faithfulness is how much you offend people. Because some of you might be thinking, ah, I'm winning. 
seem to do that a lot. What I'm saying is that there is no conflict-free way of telling someone that they're under the wrath of God. We can't avoid it. The second thing I want to share is we need to tell people with urgency. Telling people the gospel should be done with a sense of total urgency in the matter. There are those of you here who like to wait for a deal in life, right? How many of you know when you need to fix something at home or replace something? You like to wait to see if it goes on sale. You'd like to find out, do you have a coupon for that? You like to find the deal. You'd like to spend less. You're looking, hey, can I find this at a better time that will help my budget or help my home in this way? Well, salvation is not one of those deals. Salvation is not one of those times where we just kind of hold off waiting for a a better deal. You've probably heard me say it before, and I'll say it many times from here, Lord willing, but today is the day of salvation. There's no need to wait. You, you are never promised more than right now. None of us are. And so when you share the gospel, we should do so with urgency, pleading, encouraging, focusing people to decide now. If sinners need a savior and Jesus is the savior, then why would we encourage people to wait to trust Christ for salvation? You know, we, we act as if in our actions that we, we know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen as you leave this place today. James 4, 13 and 14 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Folks, our lives are that mist. The mist that I saw this morning as I walked out to my truck, it was cold enough and I could see it. And it was there and gone. That is our lives. So it's, it's not insensitive to bring up urgency to this decision when we've properly walked through the gospel with someone. In fact, I believe, though, it's unloving to not share with urgency. The time of opportunity will end. And we don't know when. And so whatever situation you are in right now with a person that you've been building relationship with, you've been talking about God, you've been talking about the gospel, look for an opportunity to share Christ with them. And remember, you're not promised for tomorrow. Trust Christ in the situation and not the next one because you don't know when the next one will come. The third, we need to tell people with joy. You know, as gospel proclaimers, as, as evangelists in our, in our work, and our life, we have the privilege to share joy with others. You know, we don't only share the bad news, the hard stuff, the difficult th- stuff, that they're sinners and that they, they cannot save themselves, but we share the good news. That's part of the gospel. And, and with the good news, with the gospel, with salvation comes joy, comes real joy, comes sustainable joy and eternal joy. The truth of the gospel is the news of a restored relationship with God that brings real joy. And do people need joy? When you come in contact with those people day in and day out, they need joy in their life. Not the fleeting kind of joy of this world, but real joy. You know, Jim Elliott has been quoted as saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Do we believe that? And church, what do we gain when we come to Christ? We get God. 
We, we, we get the blessings from God. We get his forgiveness. We get peace. We get meaning in our lives, finally. We have purpose. We have real freedom. We have a community of other believers that we can share life with. We have certainty that when we die from this earth, we don't cease to exist, but we go and live with God. We have hope. I don't know if you've seen this this week, but just this past week, one of the assistant coaches for the Oklahoma City Thunder, the NBA team, his wife died suddenly in a car accident. 44 years old, I believe. Mother of a number of kids. And I was watching this as, as the, the TV analyst. These guys are all sports professionalists are, are in awestruck of this, this husband as he gets up and he shares at the service. And they, had, they don't even talk about it. They just show the video. And the, and the coach gets up and he starts sharing the gospel in great detail with such confidence because he knows where his wife is. You know, he says this, his line, he says, we didn't lose here. I know exactly where she's at. Folks, that's hope. That's joy. And the world's rocked by that. They don't know what to do with that. In fact, after the video, they're like, what do we say? And they miss out the fact that this man has hurt and pain and struggle, but he has hope. And it's not in themselves. It's not in this world. It's, it's in Christ. Amen. So we, we need to share with joy because we share this hope, this lasting hope. And, wh- and what do we give up? You know, as, as he said, you know, what, what do we gain? You cannot lose. You know, we lose some things when we come to Christ. You know what we lose? We give up our lostness. We give up our, our deadness. We give up our hopelessness. We don't have that anymore. We give that up. We, we lovingly and, and happily give it up. We don't want it anymore. And so but we, need to, we need to share the hard stuff, but it doesn't mean we, don't, we hold back the blessings and the joy that comes with salvation. We need to tell people the gospel with joy. Fourth, we need to tell people the gospel with the Bible. You know, it probably goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. When we share the gospel and the hope of the gospel, we need to use the Bible because it's where we learn and how we know about the gospel. We don't share man's news. We don't share Jeff's news. This is not my news. This is God's. Their lost condition is because God says they're lost. We share God's news. You know, a very good example of this is in scripture and it's found in, with Philip in the Ethiopian official in Acts 8. And when the, when the Ethiopian was reading Isaiah 53, he came confused to a portion. He didn't understand. And so there's Philip. And what does Philip do? What does it say in Acts 8? It says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Real rocket science here, people. He used the Bible to preach the good news. Because Philip knew that's where, that's where it is. That's where I get it. That's where I understand it. And so as we share the gospel, as we evangelize, we use the Bible. We use God's words. Because with God's words comes power. You know, just, just like the video that we watched earlier, Billy came to Christ through God's word. The preaching of God's word. The last thing we, is we tell people after we pray. And we pray for them. You know, don't, don't, don't go share the gospel unless you're praying, unless you're praying about it. If salvation comes from the Lord, 
and it's not from us, then we need to rely on him and his power. In Jesus' own words in John 6, 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. This is God's work. And so we need to ask him to work in the lives of those that we share the gospel with. You know, Paul also prayed about this and, and shared this about people he's witnessing to. In Romans 10, he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And so we, we can and will work to share with others for a long time, but it is God that brings the salvation. He does the work, and so we need to, we need to pray. And I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you this morning. Who are you praying for right now that needs Christ? We should all have someone in mind. And if you don't have anyone in mind, go meet your neighbors that you haven't met yet. Because I'm sure they need Christ. There's plenty of people in our culture that need to hear the gospel. So I want to challenge you for at least be praying for one person on a regular basis that they would come to know their need for a savior, that they would come to Christ. You know, and I'll encourage you also, don't pray that someone else will go share the gospel with them. Pray that you will be the one to share the gospel with them. And do that faithfully. You know, there, I know there are some in our church, I had some after the first service come up to me, and they don't have just one, they have a list of people that they regularly pray for. And it's been a joy, a part of my growth as a believer is seeing people I've prayed for for years then come to Christ and, and understand salvation and, and decide to follow him and not themselves. It's, it brings joy to life. And so as we do evangelism, we need to pray. We need to pray for them. So my last main point this morning is why? Why should we evangelize? You know, I'm sure at this point there are many of those of you here who are probably aware that, sh that you should be sharing the gospel with your friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers. And, and my guess is that there are many here will, will tell me that they feel convicted about their failure to do it faithfully. Some, maybe even in their estimation, feel like they don't do it well, and some perhaps say, I don't do it at all. And, and usually this, in our human response, can lead to guilt, which church guilt is a very poor motivator to share the gospel. My point isn't to make you feel guilty and then go do it. My point is not to manipulate you to evangelize. So I want to talk about some of these things of why we should. Why should we evangelize? The first one is for love of God, because we love him. John Cheeseman in his book, The Grace of God and the Gospel, wrote this. He said, love for God is the only sufficient motive for evangelism. Self-love will give away to self-centeredness. Love for the lost will fail with those whom we cannot love or do well. And when difficulties seem insurmountable, only a deep love for God will keep us from following his way, declaring his gospel when human resources fail. Only our love for God, and more important, his love for us, will keep us from the dangers which beset us. When the desire for popularity with me or for success in human terms, tempts us to water down the gospel to make it palatable, then only if we love God will we stand fast in his truth and his ways. We, we go and evangelize because we love God and because we want to see him glorified. You know, we're, we, we want to see the truth of who God is go forth. You know, the desire to see God glorified is the motivation for all of Jesus' ministry. 
And we're going to see this and explore this a whole lot in the next number of weeks as we go through the Gospel of John, that it's mentioned time and time again that Jesus came to glorify the Father. And everything in our world exists for the glory of God. As Ephesians 1, 6 says, our salvation is to the praise of his glorious grace. God does everything for his glory, and we should do everything in our lives for the glory of God. God is glorified in the gospel. You know, is there any more message in our world that is as amazing as the gospel that we get to be a part of? You know, there are many things that are special on this earth, but one that stands above the rest is that we have the privilege as believers to be ambassadors for God. We represent God. And we have this gospel to share, to preach his glorious gospel. And we bring glory to God when we do it. The second thing is we need to have a love for lost people. The sinners will never stop sinning. The judgment of God will never end. Unsaved people's plight is never more real than it is right now. And in and of themselves, they cannot do anything to remove the wrath of God. Without, the, without God, without Jesus coming, the unsaved would head to eternal hell. You know, I'm, I'm most angered when I read and hear of those propagating the belief of uh, that when you die, you, you cease to exist. It is a lie from the pit of hell. You know, their books are written, their talks, there are those that are encouraging and preaching this direction that when a person dies, they just cease to exist because a loving God could never do that, which is flatly unbiblical. And it angers me because, because why do people need more reason to feel better about their rebellion against the holy God? You know, the experience of hell is worse than any pain or suffering that we might experience on this earth. So why would we lessen this news? Why would we distort this news? Why would we distract these people when we're sharing the gospel with unbelievers? We should be motivated as Christians for those that we come in contact with to share the gospel with them. You know, we're on the cusp of missions conference that's starting this week. And Hudson Taylor, one of my favorite missionaries to read about, said that he would have never thought of going to China if he didn't believe deep down in his bones, that people were lost. And in his life and what God did, he had to go. If, if people who are lost and having this fate await them, our motivation should be to, to preach the gospel to them. The last thing I want to mention here is we preach the gospel to be obedient. You know, as I read in Matthew 28, the passage earlier, the Lord himself commanded his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. That's what they did. You could also read about Paul, and I read that earlier, of his compulsion to go and to share the gospel. Folks, to, to evangelize is to obey the Lord. We, we shouldn't be people that just sit back and wait for our affections to kick into gear. We should be desiring to go and obey the Lord. You know, one of the clearest examples of evangelism is being commanded to us as the church is in 1 Peter 3, 15 through 17. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, 
having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You know, also remember Romans 9, in the beginning verses, you can read about Paul's obligation again, and his gut-wrenching realization that for, for him and his people, if he didn't preach the gospel, they would never have salvation. And so Paul feels this obligation. And we should too. None of us are exempt. I work in an office full of Christians. But I'm not exempt from preaching the good news. We all have this. And I, my prayer is that as a church, we, we don't grow comfortable in the area of, of the gospel and with the need to share from here. One of the marks of a healthy church, I believe, or a healthy church at Edward Bible, is that we understand and we're involved in evangelism. I'm excited for this week. I'm excited for the missions conference. I love it every year. An opportunity we have to hear reports and hear what's, what God's doing. And so I told you I had a few curveballs today. We have another curveball here at the end of the service, something a little different. You know, the, the call that we have as as hopefully you understood this morning, is to go and to evangelize. It's our job. It's our privilege. It's our joy. And so in this week, as we prepare for the missions conferences, we're a part of it. My prayer is that as a, as a church, we'll be even more understanding our role as believers in the, in the jobs we, we work, in the homes that we live, in the neighborhoods that we'll go and we'll preach the gospel. But I'm also praying that through this week, that God would raise up more people from our church to leave in a good way, to go out as missionaries. That God would be even now working on the hearts of kids. That he would look to train and that we would have the privilege as a church to be sending out of our own to go and preach the gospel throughout the world. And we're going to end our service this morning with a song. So it's not just any song, and we don't normally do this, so but it's a song that is an old hymn that has been updated. Some more lines have been added to it. But the meaning is so important, I believe, especially for the context of what the sermon's been about and for the week that we're about to, to head into. The song is called Facing a Task Unfinished. And it teaches us and encourages us that the job of evangelism, the job of missions, is not done. There are still many, many throughout our world that need to hear the gospel. We have the privilege this morning, so this is not set up by me. This was done by the Gettys, Keith and Christy Getty, who don't, we do a number of their songs, and a mission organization, OMF. And what they did is this updated song, they decided to reach out to churches. And so this morning, we're singing this song while 4,600 other churches throughout the world sang the same song this morning. And 90 countries, estimated at 1 million believers, will join together and sing this song together. I think that's pretty neat. And so I, as a team, Joe and the team comes up, uh, it reminds, the song reminds us of, the, of God's call to global missions, to, to evangelism. You know, so as, as we sing the song, I pray that it will prepare our hearts for the missions conference that's coming this week and that we'll be excited and, and maybe God's raising you up, not to, not to go across the world, maybe, but to go across the street to look for someone that you've, not known, and you need to share the gospel with, or a coworker across the office. Father, we thank you again for this time you joined together. 
as the body of Christ. Pray that you be honored and glorified in our lives as we go out to, to serve you and preaching the gospel to those we come in contact with. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.